All right, if you've got a Bible, you know this routine, right? Grab it, open it, um, turn it on if it's on your phone or a device, follow along on screen or in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Um, Genesis chapter 2, that's where we're going to start today. Um, and, and I want to start out by asking you a question, and I don't want you to answer out loud, all right? Um, just don't, don't answer this out loud. Um, if you could use one word to describe yourself today, what would that be? And again, don't write it or don't, don't say it out loud, but you can maybe, you can maybe write it down or just kind of put it at the front of your mind for a little while. And let me give you a little disclaimer. I know you're in church, but you don't have to be fake. All right. You don't have to write down blessed and happy and excited and wait. You don't have to do any of that stuff. If that's you, it's awesome. I'm glad you're here, but let's kind of strip away the religious veneer and get real today. Um, I did this. The reason why I don't want you to say it out loud. Um, I did this. Um, this exercise with a group earlier in the week and, um, and they wrote down comments where they said out loud comments like alone and damaged and scared and worthless. I mean, it was like, I didn't like, expect that to come. Um, but I understood it. I, I did. Cause I know what it's like to feel those things. I know what it's like. And many of you do too. We know, we know what it's like to feel alone. We know what it's like to feel afraid. I know what it's like to deal with doubt or fear or feel damaged or feel like you're a piece of trash. I get that. Um, but as I was going through that with them and, and, and heard what people were dealing with, it absolutely broke my heart. And so I want you, I want you to think of a word and then I want you to kind of put it off to the side. We're going to come back to that word that maybe you feel like, like maybe that word describes you a little bit. My prayer is hopefully by the end of the service, by the end of this message, we're going to replace it with a word that's accurate for everyone that's in Christ. So, so hold on to that word. Like I said, we'll come back to it. Um, I'll set up this message, the rest of the message, um, and where we're going like this. Um, one of the things that I have learned in life is that we don't truly appreciate something until we understand it. But then when we understand it, we can appreciate it. You know what I'm talking about? Does that, that kind of make sense? Like, like for example, some of you are going to have to Google this. Some of you will remember it. Um, but workouts in America changed with the invention of the Sony Walkman, right? Some, some of you had one of those, right? One of these things right there, right? Remember that? Remember that thing? Yeah, woo. Old people just wooed at that. Because prior to that, they had eight tracks. And I don't think you could carry your eight track. Was there a portable eight track? Probably not. That's even before my time. But the Sony Walkman, you could put that, you could, you could get your cassette tape. And some of you don't even know what that is. And you could put a cassette tape in that and you could listen to the, like, the Rocky soundtrack and Eye of the Tiger and you could work out and it was awesome. The problem was, as we know, like with many, many CDs or records or cassettes that you buy, there's only really like one or two really, really, really good songs that hype you up on every, um, on every album. And so on a cassette, they were usually on opposite sides of each other, but not in the right opposite side, right? If they were on the right opposite side, you could listen to one flip it over and it'd be right there ready to go. But they didn't do that. And so you were constantly flipping and rewinding and fast forwarding and trying to get to the song and do all of that. And it was kind of a pain. But then came the portable CD player. And the CD player was awesome because you could skip backwards and forward to the song you wanted to listen to. The problem with the CD player was it itself skipped, right? You were on the treadmill or you were working out or you were just walking and you're listening to music and that thing's just skipping all over the place. Then they came out, remember this? They came out with the anti-skip CD player, remember that? And you put that thing on your side and it looked like a, 
a, a VCR. Like the thing was just huge. Like you had, you walked with a limp carrying that thing. Remember that? How many of you remember that? Like you had to work out just to carry your portable CD player. But then, then they came out with the iPod, right? Now some of you don't know life without an iPod. I'm pre-iPod, all right? How many of you else are pre-iPod? Okay, look, look around all the young people like don't even know what that's like. Uh, I remember when I first heard about one, and you probably do too. I remember hearing about it. A friend told me it holds a thousand songs. And I'm like, who would want a thousand songs? What would you do with a thousand songs? And now we have Spotify and Amazon Music and all that other stuff. But that's what I thought. Who wants a thousand songs? And then, and then I asked them, I was like, why would I want one of those when I've got this incredible anti-skip CD player? And so I told him, I literally said, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard. And then I said, like, what everybody says, that's never going to take off, right? It's just never, never going to happen. Then a couple of weeks later, maybe within that time frame, um, I'm at the gym and I see somebody with an iPod and, and he's like, Hey man, you ever seen one of these? And and he showed me how it worked and it had the little dial and all that stuff in and it clicked as you made the, as you went around and you're like scrolling through all the songs. It was absolutely crazy. I was like, man, that thing is awesome. And so I left and I drove to Best Buy and I paid $450 for one. I did. I bought an iPad. Six months, same as cash. Probably not, but it's like $450. Like that's how much the first one cost. Like it was absolutely insane. But I got one. You know why? Because I understood it. And I was like, man, this thing is awesome. When you understand something, it's easier to appreciate it. Would you agree, yes or no? Yes. All right. Let's bring that analogy into the church world. There are things in the church that we do that don't... um, that don't always make sense, or we don't really sometimes make super clear as to why we do them or why we don't do them. But if we understand the why, it's easier to appreciate. And one of the things that we do around here at our church, and I know other churches are different, so if you're watching this online, you might say your church is, is better and more superior. This is great. It's awesome. Um, but one of the one of the things that we do here, um, again, that may be confusing, may not be confusing, or there's a lack of understanding, is communion. And, and I get that. I understand that. And so I, I want to talk about it. Um, for years, when I first became a Christian, I didn't understand communion. Um, I didn't understand why we did it. Um, my mom, a little history of me, my mom um, took me um, to Catholic church from the time that I was born, pretty much until I started high school. Um, when we moved, we, we moved from Ohio to Indiana when I started high school, and uh, my mom couldn't find um, a church that she liked, and so we just, we just stopped going. And so I'm sure... As I was growing up, I went through the whole first communion thing, um, and they probably taught it, but just like everything else in life, I didn't pay any attention to it, and, and I, didn't, I didn't remember it. And so during and, and after high school, um, I spent years running from Jesus, but when I was about 24 years old, um, I received Jesus, and I started going to a church, and the church I was going to, one morning, um, I remember the pastor saying, today we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, I had never heard that, that phrase said like that before, or I don't think that I had, but, but I remember thinking, this is awesome, because the church that I was going to, it was one of those um, churches, and the thing I loved the most about churches was the, the, the potluck dinners that they would have all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they would just 
feed you and feed you. And people brought like all, like their best stuff. Like that was it. Like the, the church thought, bring your best to the Lord. And, and that's the only thing the best that they brought was their food. It was, but it was okay. It was great. And so I thought we were getting ready, like legit. I 100% didn't know. And I thought we were going to have this big luncheon or whatever. And so we're in the service. And at the end of the service, they pass around some juice and a cracker. Right, And the pastor said, now we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so I've got juice, and I've got a cracker. And I'm thinking, man, the Lord must have been really skinny if this is all he ate. Because I didn't understand it. And so for the longest time, like, I really didn't understand what the Lord's Supper was. We, we did it, but I didn't really get it. And I really didn't understand the meaning behind it. And so one day, I was, I was actually in Bible college at this time. I'm like, I, I gotta, I gotta figure out where this come from. I gotta, I gotta fully understand this. And so I began to study it out. And I found it actually has its roots in Genesis. See, some people think it's something that Jesus started. Jesus didn't start it. He changed the meaning of it, but he didn't start it. It has its roots all the way back in the story of, of, of not Exodus. A lot of people say it started in Exodus, um, but not even Exodus. It's all the way back in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1. We're told that God created the heavens and the earth. He created the animals, the birds, the water, the sea, the fish, all of that stuff. And everything is great. Everything is awesome. And then he created Adam and Eve. And he gets ready to talk. And, and, and I want you to watch this because when I discovered this for the first time, it was life-changing for me in the way that I viewed who God is. And so God created Adam and Eve and he's getting ready to say his first words to them. And, and this is what the Genesis account of creation tells us. This is Genesis 2 verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. That's huge. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. The first, don't miss this. The first three words that God spoke to mankind are you are free. Now, I'd be willing to bet that the word you thought of to describe yourself when I asked the question at the beginning of the service was not free. Like most likely, nobody in this room said free. No one online thought free because we don't feel free, right? Like we feel weighed down with a lot of different stuff that, that we either did or has been done to us. We feel, um, I feel lots of other ways, but free is not like one of the ones that just jumps out front. But God's original intention was that you and I would walk in this thing called freedom. He said, you are free. Now, if you really want to break it down even further, the first five words are, you are free to eat, which is evidence that buffets are godly and all you can eat sushi buffets are the best. Um, that's another message for another time. Anyway, anyway God told them, um, there's this one tree. All right, don't eat the fruit on this tree because if you eat this one, you're going to, anybody know what's going to happen? You're going to die, right? That's what he said. He's like, just don't do it. Like, there's this thing called sin, and I don't really want to get into all that, but it's, it's going to be bad. You don't, you don't want to do the sin thing. So don't mess with that. Look at all the stuff, Adam and Eve. Look at all the things you can have. You can have all of this. That one thing over there, just don't touch it. Just stay away from that one tree. Well, sure enough, um, Eve's in the garden one day. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that Satan comes um, um, disguised as a snake and says, hey, Eve, about that tree over there. And she's like, oh, we, we can't eat of that tree. We can't even touch it or we'll die. And so the devil goes, listen, listen, listen. God's holding out on you. Like I know him. 
Like, and, and he's, he's holding out on you. If you eat of that, you're not going to die. If you eat of it, you're going to be awesome. And so she bought into the deception, she bought into the lie, and she ate the fruit. Then the Bible says she took some to Adam, and and she gave it to him, and he ate it. Then the Bible says this in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I want to stop real quickly and talk about this. This is the first time that shame enters the world. And, And don't miss this. Because of the sin that they committed, they felt shame. And people, people that feel shame, trust me, I know this. um, People that feel shame think they need to cover themselves. And and we cover ourselves in a lot of things. We'll cover it with language. We'll cover it with an addiction. We cover it with a habit. We cover it by saying, oh, I'm okay. Everything's just fine. We, We cover it with lots of different sorts of things. But nearly every person in this room, every person watching online knows what it's like to carry the burden of shame. Because at some point in your life, somebody has tagged you. Somebody has labeled you. This is who you are. This is what you've done. This is all that you'll ever be. And there are people that you know, that we know, some of us are sitting here right now, that we fight that maybe daily or on a weekly basis, the shame that the enemy tries to tag on us. That's what's happening right here. That's what's going on in this text. Adam and Eve are trying to cover their shame. They're so ashamed of who they are and what they've done that they're absolutely certain that God wants absolutely nothing to do with them. And so then the Bible goes on to say in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I don't, I don't have time to get into this today, but how insane is it to think that you can hide from God? Seriously, how crazy is it to think you can hide from God? But isn't that what we try to do? There are so many people, I've met them and and you've met them. Hey, I've been one of them. And so I know this game. We're trying to hide from God. And we try to hide from God because of the shame. There are people, I've talked to people, I've invited them to church. They're like, oh, I could could never come to church. Why? And they say, you don't. You just, you don't know what I've done. And I always say, you don't know what the pastor has done. Like, come on, right? Like anybody could come in. Listen, we want this to be a place where guilt and shame don't drive people out. That actually draws people in. And as it draws them in, like they'll, they'll understand that this is a place where, where Jesus will meet us where we are. He doesn't want to make us feel more guilty or, or more ashamed. He actually died to take that away from us. Like we'll talk about that in a little bit more later. But that's really what he wants to do. He wants to take it away. And so God is walking in the garden here, not to get them, but to rescue them from what they could have experienced and went through had he just left them on their own. Because watch this. He's walking in the cool of the day. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Now for years, I looked at this as God being like this angry dad. I don't know if, if you had an angry dad or not, but I had an angry dad. Dad, if you're watching this, I love you. You're great. You're awesome now. But man, dude, you were angry. And so uh, he, he was. He'd be like, where are you? And, and, and you knew when he was asking that question, it wasn't because he wanted to help you, right? And so so I'm I'm reading this a little while back. 
And I started looking at this a little bit differently. Because reading through the Gospels over and over and over again, you see, you see the story of Jesus. Jesus absolutely loved people who were far from God. Loved them. And, and he's always crashing parties and he's always making the religious people angry. In fact, the only people he ever went off on were the hyper-religious. Like, those are the only people he really ever got mad at. And so, when I look at the heart of God through Jesus, when I read this, I don't, I don't see God saying, where are you? I see God going, hey, hey, where, where are you at? Like, what's, what's going on? Because I believe that God wants to be connected with us. God wants to connect with every single person here. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, or when it happened, God wants to be connected with you. And, and I get it. You say, Ryan, you don't know me. And, and you're right. I don't. I don't know you. But I know as soon, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, God comes after them and goes, hey, hey, I, I really, 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 really want to make this thing right. Where are you? I want to make this right. Does that change your perspective on this any? Because it changed mine. And, and then this next part blows my mind. He says this. He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid. This is the first time, don't miss this, this is the first time fear ever enters the scriptures. And there are a lot of people in this room that we, notice, I'm going to say we, not, not just you. We at times are completely consumed and controlled by fear. And we see it right here in the story. Fear is thousands of years old. If you're dealing with it, this fear thing has been around a long time. But what's cool is God knows how to handle it. Because watch this. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And God said, watch this, this is huge. Who, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Now that phrase right there, I, I, just, I just love this because I want you to think about this. Who told you you were naked? Who told you? Like who, who told you that? This caused me to think back to when I was a kid. Um, we didn't have much growing up. I remember being told, I've shared this story um, in the search before, but I remember being told um, by a group of kids that I couldn't hang out with them because I was poor. And, um, and, and that was heartbreaking, but it was one of those things that I just couldn't question. Like I knew we were poor. Like when you eat your cereal out of a spaghetti stained Cool Whip bowl, and you can smell the spaghetti as you're still eating your, like you understand that, right? Like you get it. Like you just can't argue that. And so anyway, it was one of those things like that I knew. And so I remember one time there was this, this group of kids and they were yelling at me and they were telling me that I was ugly. Like that was the, you're ugly, you're ugly. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. And, and they went through that whole thing. And I went home and I was crying. I mean, I was really super upset. My mom was like, what's wrong with you? And I wouldn't tell her. She's like, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Why are you upset? And I wouldn't tell her. And she kept going on and on and on. She wouldn't leave her alone. And so finally I told her, some kids at school, they, they, they told me I was ugly. And my mom, I'll never forget this. My mom looked at me and she said, who told you that? Who told you you were ugly? And I said, so-and-so. And she looked at me and she said, Ryan, they don't get to decide that. I'm the one who decides that. And you are not ugly. You go to school tomorrow and you tell them, your mama said, and so the next day I go to school and they're like, you're ugly. And I'm like, but my mama said, and that didn't work out well. But anyway, 
Like, like think about this. If, if you're a parent and somebody tells your kids something like that, how cruel would it be if you're sitting there and your kid comes running home and they're screaming and they're crying and they're upset? What's wrong with you? Well, so-and-so said I'm ugly. Well, they ain't wrong. Go to your room and fix it. Like, like seriously, like, like how, how bad would, nobody in this room would do that. Like that would be the most cruel thing that you could do to a kid. Yet we think God does that to us sometimes, right? See, I see God looking at Adam and, and Adam saying, I was naked. And God said, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that about you? Who told you that's who you are? Who told you you were damaged? Who told you you were no good? Who told you you were worthless? Who told you nobody would ever want anything to do with you? Who told you that? Because your heavenly father didn't tell you that. And he's the only one who gets to decide that. Who told you that? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12. The man said... The woman you put here, like, I was fine, God, and then she showed up. Notice this is where blame comes in, right? This is blame. Not my fault. God, it's your fault. You put the woman here. So, God, I'm going to blame you, and I'm going to blame her. Isn't that just like us sometimes? If something's, like, jacked up in our lives, it's easier to blame God and blame others. God, I was fine until that happened. Like, I've done it. We've all probably done it. God, I was fine until my friend died. And now that's the reason I'm living like this. God, I was fine, but this person came along and did this and did that. And so God, now this is why I'm living like that. We we often blame God and others. And God doesn't quite buy into that. But he understands what we blame. Because we think as long as we blame, we don't have to deal with the issue. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. We're going to deal with it. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent. So she, she blames it on the devil. We blame it on God. We blame it on others. We blame it on the devil. So you got all three categories of people here that you could blame it on. It gets crazy. So she says, the serpent deceived me. And, and there are people in this room, there are those of us who have been deceived by someone or something. And so there's this dilemma going on in the garden because Adam and Eve clearly sin, yes or no? Yes. And there are always consequences for sin. Always. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. There are always going to be consequences for sin. Always. God laid it out. But the thought of Adam and Eve being destroyed, right? Because sin always leads to death. As I read through the scripture, I I believe it it broke God's heart. Because in one sense, he created them in his image, told them not to do something, and and, and then they did it. And when it comes to sin, there, there has to be a consequence. Somebody has to pay. When it comes to sin, somebody has to pay. Now, there are people, I know what you're thinking, I don't know about this. Well, let's play pretend. Let's pretend you go home today. You, you get home after church and somebody has broken in your house and they have stolen most all of your possessions. How many of you be okay with that? How many? Raise your hand. How many be all right? No hands. You know why? Because no one in this room is like, oh, you know what? Let's not judge. Let's just be godly and holy. Let's not judge anybody. Let's be kind. They probably needed it more than us. We'll just go to Walmart and buy it all back. No. You know what you do? Hey, 
I'm calling 911, and they better get the SWAT team and some helicopters over here right now because somebody has to pay, right? Let's say you walk out into the parking lot today, and somebody bumped into your car, like scratched it and dented it. Would you be okay with that? You don't have to say yes because you're in church. Actually, we're trying it right now. There's one random car that we have dented out in the parking lot right now to see if this illustration plays out. No! You wouldn't be like, oh, we just talked about the grace of God, but I don't have to show it, like, or I have to, like, no, 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 somebody's got to pay. There's this internal sense of justice I believe everyone carries. I believe we carry it because we're created in the image of God. And so what happens? I mean, is God going to destroy Adam and Eve? No. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, the reason this is so fascinating is because we're 21st century Americans, and so we read right over this. But if you actually dig in, most theologians and scholars believe that the Lord God took and made garments of skin from the skin of a lamb. And so don't miss this. Up until this point in human history, nothing, nothing had ever died. But God takes a lamb and sacrifices it and made coverings for Adam and Eve. So don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Because of the blood of an innocent lamb, those who were marked with sin, those who were marked with shame and guilt were allowed to go free. And that's the foundation of this thing called communion. Isn't it cool? Not cool? I don't know. Maybe I just geek out on this more than you do. But it goes on in the book of Exodus, because in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, um, they're enslaved to the Egyptians, and God's desire was to set the slaves free. God doesn't want anybody to live in bondage. God doesn't want anybody to be held down by anything. And so God's getting ready to set the slaves free, and he he wants them um, to, he sets them free through a process. Um, do, do you know that? Freedom comes through a process. Like salvation is immediate, um, but it, if you're going to walk in freedom, it's a process. And so, so God sends these 10 plagues, and, and you can read about it in the book of Exodus. He sends them on the land of Egypt, and the last one is the big kicker. The last one, plague number 10, God said, I'm going to send a death angel over Egypt. And he's going to kill the firstborn son of every living creature. Now, I'm just kind of curious, men, how many of you are firstborn son? Anyone in here firstborn son? All right, we're all dead. I'm firstborn son. Like, that's it. We're out. Um, and, and, and I know if you're firstborn, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Like, he can kill my little brother, but it's not fair. But God said, all right, here's the deal. All right, I, I wanna, I'm going to show you how merciful I can be. There's a way out. Go into the field and find a, uh, anybody want to guess what kind of animal? A lamb, right? Find a lamb. Find one that is perfect. No spots. Sacrifice it. Take the blood of that innocent lamb and kind of smear it over the doorframe of your house. And this is what God promises in Exodus chapter 12 would happen. This is verse 33. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer, the death angel, to enter your house and strike you down. In other words, because of the blood of the innocent lamb, those who were marked for condemnation, those who were marked for destruction, were allowed to walk in freedom. Not because of what they did, but because of the sacrifice that God provided. 
And then he says this, and this is so cool, verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. So the ceremony became something known as the Passover. In fact, Jewish people all over the world still celebrate the Passover celebration to, to this day. Like it'll start this Friday and it'll go all the way um, through the 23rd. Like that's, the, that's a week-long celebration. It's a big, big deal. All right, the Passover. So with all that in mind, Genesis and Exodus, if you're reading through the scripture and you, you hit the fast forward button on your Sony Walkman um, and you go forward several hundred years, there's this man named Jesus who shows up on the scene. And when he shows up, there's a guy named John the Baptist and he points at Jesus. And anytime we see the scriptures, the scriptures are always pointing back to what happened and they're pointing um, ahead to what's going to be. And so John the Baptist points at Jesus and the very first thing that John says about Jesus and John chapter chapter 1 verse 29 he says look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world not the lamb of god who's going to say some really cool stuff that we put on a t-shirt not the lamb of god who comes up with some coffee cup verses didn't say that he said takes away the sin of the world now let's talk about this for a minute because the animal that was sacrificed in genesis we said it was a Lamb, the animal sacrifice in Exodus was a, and here you have a person saying the lamb of God. He's saying this guy right here, he has come to sacrifice. Why? To take away. Listen, 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 listen. To take away. To take away. Jesus came to take away. Not to make you feel shame, not to make you feel fear, not to make you feel guilty. Re- religion, the, the enemy is the one that makes you feel guilty. And, and you know this is true because only in the church, only in the church can a girl who's 18 get pregnant. And when she's 42, she's still the 18 year old who got pregnant. Am I telling the truth? Like only in the church can somebody get arrested for drug possession at 15. And when they're 55, they're still the person who got arrested for drug possession. But Jesus didn't come to remind us of our sin. The Bible says Jesus came to do what? Take away our sin. And so when when we come to Jesus, he's not, hey, you did this and you did this and you did this and you did this. He's like, hey, give me that. I'll take that. Give me that. I'll take that. You know why? Because he wants us to walk in freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from fear, freedom. He wants us to walk. That's why John pointed out saying that's the lamb of God. And the reason he's here is to take away the sin of the world, take away the sin of the world. That's a big mission. Yes or no? Yes. And so Jesus starts his ministry and it goes on for about three years. And, and then Jesus celebrated the Passover, what was talked about in Exodus. And this is where we pick this up in, in Luke, um, in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 7. Then the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed came. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And so Jesus sends Peter and John and they go to this place and they get this meal set up and Israel, it's still there. It's the upper room and, and he's getting ready to celebrate Passover. Cause listen, it was a celebration. It, was a, it wasn't a somber occasion. It was a celebration. Like, we are free. They're, they're celebrating the fact that they're free. Because when you've been trapped, when you've been held in bondage, and you're set free, you celebrate. Yes or no? Yes. So this is a celebration. And Jesus said this. He's given some instructions. He says this, verse 17. After taking the cup, 
He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In other words, one of the first elements of Passover, one of the first things that that we should do um, when we do communions, we're getting ready to do in a few minutes, one of the first attitudes we should have is an attitude of thanksgiving. It's, It's literally stopping and thanking God. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank him for what? Thank him. Thank him for always being with us. Like, thank him you have air in your lungs today, right? Well, one of the things that I always do, um, the first thing that I always do during communion is I always thank God that he's always been with me. Always been. Like, even when I was not a Christian, he was with me. I can look. I can see it now. He was with me when, when I wrapped my car around a tree. He was with me when I was in the depths of wrestling with drug and alcohol addiction. He was with me when I was thinking about taking my own life. All through my life, he, he, has, he has never left me. I can make a huge list of all these things that I look at. And I'm like, man, he was right there with me. He's never left me. He's never left you either. He's never forsaken you. He's always had your back. We have a God who is always here with us. And because of that, we should thank him. Thanksgiving is huge. Then he says this, verse 19, and he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus takes the bread. And so in a little while, we're going to go to the corners of the sanctuary, and we've got the cups. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know how we do this, bread on the bottom, juice on the top. But he's got this bread. And this bread, when, when you take this bread, this is a reminder that God came here. He didn't put himself on the top of a mountain and say, let's see how many of you fools can get up here. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going there to take away the sin of the world. And so when you hold the bread, it's a reminder that God came here and gave his life for you, his body broken, to take away your sin, your guilt, your shame. The body of Jesus broken so we could be set free. And then he said this, and this is unbelievable. He says in verse 20, and in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new, the new, everyone say new. The new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, we know the story of Jesus on the cross and he shed his blood. This is Easter week and we're going to be talking about it throughout the week. You're going to probably get devotionals. You're probably going to see lots of stuff on Facebook about it. We're going to talk about it next weekend in detail. Like his body broken, shed blood. We've heard that. But I don't want you to miss the power of what he's saying right here. He says, this cup is the new covenant. New covenant. New covenant, new covenant. What was the old covenant? The Old Testament, right? The Old Testament. I hear people say all the time, well, I still believe and I still follow the Old Testament. No, you don't. You know how I know you don't? Because you didn't kill a goat this week. You didn't kill a lamb. You didn't kill a bull. You didn't kill a bird. And some of you might be like, I did. Okay, the rest of us didn't. All right, the Old Testament. I'm not dissing the Old Testament. I'm not saying we shouldn't believe it and read it. We should. But in the Old Testament, if you did this kind of sin, you had to bring this kind of animal and you had to kill it. If you did this kind of sin, you had to bring this kind of animal and you had to kill it. There were certain days you had to come. There were certain offerings that you had to bring. You had to do all of this stuff. That, that was the Old Covenant. That's how sin was paid for. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes along right here and he says, what I'm getting ready to do, hey, I'm changing everything. No longer is this celebration going to only be about Israelites coming out of Egypt. And no longer is it going to be about what you have to do. It doesn't have to be about doubting the 
I's and crossing the T's. Freedom is not found in the old covenant. He's saying freedom is found in a relationship with me and the way it's going to happen is my blood. Not an animal's blood, but the blood of the perfect lamb of God. As John pointed out, the perfect lamb of God, the blood of the perfect lamb of God was going to be poured out for the sins of the entire world. Now here's what's fascinating about the old covenant. There were days when you had to go to the temple. And again, there were different sacrifices for different types of sins. Like there were five types of sacrifices and there were seven things you had to do with the sacrifice. I mean, it was, there's so much symbolism in all of this. So I'm not going to get into this morning. But the priest, the priest would come out, like they would sacrifice this, they would sacrifice this, they would sacrifice this, they would go through all these sacrifices. And at the end of the sacrifice, the priest would make an announcement. And tradition says the priest would stand over all the people after the final sacrifice had been made. And the priest would say, it is finished. It is finished. Which is absolutely fascinating because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, in John chapter 19, verse 30, the Bible says when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished, meaning sin, guilt, shame, fear, fill in the blank with whatever sin has been paid for. And now you, me, we can be free. Now, I say all that knowing that most of us don't feel free because we've been called something else. But I want you to hear me. Today, you are in the house of God. And I don't know what the enemy told you on the way to church. I don't know what you woke up with this morning. I don't know what kind of negative thoughts you've had to wrestle with maybe this week. But today in the house of God, he is saying you belong to him and you are free. If you are in Christ, the word, if somebody today asks you to describe yourself in one word, I want you to say forgiven. I am forgiven. You know what I did when I was 18, what I did 18 days ago, what I did 18 hours ago, I'm forgiven. Because in Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm a brand new creation. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I am free. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. And so in just a second, we're going to take communion and I want you to celebrate it. That's what I want you to do today. I want you to celebrate it because we're not just celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're not just doing something because we need to put it into our service. We're celebrating something that has happened in us, that we are forgiven and we are free because of the blood of an innocent lamb. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven and we are free.